You're listening to the Lost Chill Podcast with Katie and Kimmy. For years now, I have had the pleasure of listening to the wit, banter, and pure joy from these two, and now I invite you to share in the delight of listening to them discuss the books they're currently reading. Whether you are a fellow dedicated bibliophile or simply wish you had more time to read, you will love hearing the insight and discussions around the stories they dive into. So grab a cup of coffee or pour a glass of wine and let's jump on in. Katie and Kimmy, take it away. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Lost Chill Podcast. I'm Katie. And I'm Kimmy. We are your marvelous hosts. Welcome to episode 10. 10 whole episodes. Oh, we're double digits. Two whole hands. We grew up so fast. We did. This week we're discussing the Lost Apothecary. Apothecary. I like what you said, though. This is what's going to happen this entire episode because I can't say that freaking name. Apothecary. Apothecary. Yep, that's it. By Sarah Penner. But before we get to that book, Kimmy, what have you been reading? So I've discovered audiobooks. Yeah! Which is wild. I've got two of those down. I had Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman, and then The On Honeymooners by Christina Lauren. And then, for a real book, I read and loved The Ladies of the Secret Circus by Constance Sayers. I highly recommend that one. She has a great review up about that. We'll get to that in a second. Um, Awesome. I'm glad that you're liking the audible book or the audiobooks. I don't think I can do any book I'm like too invested in and attached to, but it's nice to get a few more in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it definitely, you can read and drive. Not recommended with actual books. But... No, it's strangely not. <laughs> and you can read and do laundry. It's fantastic. That is so. great. What have you been reading and or listening to? Um, I was reading Later by Stephen King. It's his newest book. Who is that? And we're going to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. Every single time. So um, that was a really good book. It's not scary. Um, so... For all, I'm going to put a reel or TikTok up or something showing, yeah, this is news to Kimmy right now, showing, um, I got a lot of questions when I posted this review on Instagram about what Stephen King books to start out with Mm. and what different kinds that he writes for people who may not be into a scare, but who might be into a thriller crime thing. So you're going to do that later? See what you did there. (laughs) Excellent. Um, so I read that one and I listened to Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, which was absolutely fantastic. I definitely recommend listening to that because it's basically like him telling you his life story. It was phenomenal. Um, and then One Life by Megan Rapino. I listened to that on as well, both on Audible. Sponsor us Audible. You know, if you keep talking about them for free, they're not going to do it, right? Damn it! (laughs) I thought of that as you were once again doing free advertising for BarkBox. Mm. Man, I'm just... Orville, where are you? (laughs) Flashback to the first episode if you've been with us from the very beginning. If you haven't, go listen to the Midnight Library when I can't tell the difference between Orville Redenbacher and... George or what's his name? Orwell. Or George Orwell. You silly. Whatever. 
So we will always post reviews for these books and more on our own Instagram. You can find them at Katie's Lost Chill and at Kimmy's Lost Chill. The Instagram for our podcast is at The Lost Chill. And this week we're going to be focused completely on The Lost Apothecary. We sincerely hope you join the conversation about this book with us there. Now, before I forget, I want to remind you that this episode will contain spoilers. But without further ado, let's make some magic (laughs) with sparkles for magic. Yes, (laughs) yes. The Lost Apothecary is currently averaging a rating of 3.98 on Goodreads and was featured in the March Book of the Month subscription service. According to her website, Sarah Penner grew up in the woods of Kansas and began writing a few years ago after hearing a lecture by Elizabeth Gilbert, most notably known for the journey of Eat, Pray, Love. Um, Okay, I know I'm the one who brings up Eat, Pray, Love all the time, Mm -hmm. but I imagine this lecture, probably if it inspired writing, was about big magic? It was. Oh, okay, so I'm just psychic. (laughs) Or I know more about Elizabeth Gilbert than you. <laughs> Who knows the one thing? Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know what that is. She has a huge variety. She has done her memoirs, which would be Eat, Pray, Love. Um, nonfiction memoir blends even, um, which is what Committed is. Then she has a bunch of fiction. Before she even did Eat, Pray, Love, she did like more like fiction for males. I don't even know. I don't know oh. much about those ones. But then Big Magic is a nonfiction book about like not letting fear hold back your creativity. Oh, I didn't know that at all. And yeah, she has a lot. Um, one of her fictions that's semi-popular is called City of Girls. Hmm. It's about, I think it's about showgirls. I don't know. I haven't read it, but she actually has like a huge spectrum and like doesn't just stick to one genre. I seriously had no idea. So I just thought she was all about self-discovery and spaghetti books. <laughs> oh you (laughs) so yeah it was inspired by big magic um and it looks like she still might work her day job in finance which she also has a degree in so i don't think she'll be doing that much longer because this book is getting a lot of attention along with the book of the month main pick it was also a barnes and noble discover pick amazon editors pick and was listed as one of the most anticipated books of 2021 by oprah magazine This book is very new and was published March 2nd, 2021. SarahPenner.com has a link of all of the press articles about this book. NPR, New York Times, Audible. It's pretty impressive all the traction that she's getting on this debut novel. That's wild Mm -hmm. that she has so much already. Yeah. So if you're on the Bookstagram community as well, it's all over there. And that's honestly... A big reason why we chose this book is because it was getting a lot of traction on there. And the cover is really pretty. Oh, it's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I love, I love floral. I love purple. Mm-hmm. Big win for me. Yeah. It's, it reminds me of the 10,000 Doors of January. It's also another great cover. Oh, because it's pretty. <laughs> yes. Because it's pretty. I love pretty book covers. Yeah. They're, they're like, not like very. Like pretty wine labels. Yes. You want to know what's inside. Yeah. They're, they don't always. They're not always around, you know, it's, it's fun. It is fun. So in this book, we have the perspectives of three women. So two of them are from the 18th century. There's Nella, who is the middle-aged woman who works the apothecary, and 12-year-old Eliza, who stumbles into the apothecary for the mistress she works for. Then 
We have the present-day perspective of Caroline, who's supposed to be in London on a 10th anniversary trip, but after discovering her husband had been cheating, she is there all alone contemplating what she wants out of life. When we're time-traveling back to the 18th century, we're learning about the history of the apothecary and also the events that led up to its downfall. Whereas when we are in the present day, Caroline stumbles across a mudlarking group where they search in the River Thames for artifacts. Caroline finds a small vial that looks like an apothecary vial, but it is missing the typical indicators of an apothecary lacking the name and address. Instead, it only has a bear, and so Caroline is immensely intrigued and spends her time researching and trying to find out the story behind the vial. There are some twists where Caroline's husband arrives in London as well. He falls sick after ingesting eucalyptus oil, and Caroline's research is highly incriminating as she does discover that this apothecary might be a little bit sinister. Mm -hmm. Then Eliza finds a magic book and concocts a potion that's supposed to turn bad fortune around. This seems to be successful as Eliza survives an incident that all believe had killed her. Yes, and I think that's the part where this book gets its fantasy genre label tacked on, but I've seen some people say that they found that misleading. Um, And it really depends where you look for what kind of genre this is, because Goodreads has it listed as historical fiction. So I'm not really sure where the fantasy label came from other than... But you've seen that too, though, right? I have. I have. So I'm not really sure. Fantasy is listed on Goodreads fourth in genres. Goodreads is weird, though, because people vote on what genre they think. Exactly. So uh, I don't agree with it that it's fantasy whatsoever. Um, I'm looking on Amazon, and it has magical realism. It doesn't have straight-up fantasy. Well, I mean, I can see that a little bit more. I, I saw that somebody mentioned in a review or maybe an Instagram post, I'm not really sure, that um there was ghosts in here uh there's mention of ghosts and they thought that that's maybe where the fantasy maybe. aspect came from but i mean it never really goes in depth with mm. that so that that's a stretch to me if that's the reason why and combine that with the the magical potions excerpt at the end yeah i don't know all right let's go get some coffee before we continue All right, wait, Kimmy. What? I have a question for you. Okay. Why did pirates never cross the theme, the river Thames? It was too shallow? (laughs) No, because it's curvy. (laughs) (laughs) I get it because the river is so curvy. Yes. Man. (laughs) Laugh at our jokes, people. Mm -hmm. Yep. Without a doubt, you are currently enjoying the pure hilarity and delight while listening to the Lost Chill podcast. But I know, in about an hour or so, that old familiar sinking feeling will creep in. What do you even do each week after you finish listening to the latest episode of the Lost Chill? You miss the crazy shenanigans, the silly hootenanny, the general hullabaloo? If only there was another podcast you could listen to that had all those things. Well, have I got some good news for you? There is, and it's called the Death Metal Disco Podcast, hosted by our friend James, who talks about whatever the heck he pleases. 
we can promise that you will be absolutely tickled as he rambles on about anything and everything. Again, it's the Death Metal Disco Podcast. That's death as in the opposite of life, metal as in a genre of music that Taylor Swift has not gotten into yet, and disco, the place where some have been known to panic at. Be sure to check it out, and be sure to let James know that Katie and Kimmy sent you. Enjoy! All right, so let's just jump on in, and of course... Jump on in the Thames River? I don't know, is it low tide or high tide? Hmm. We should probably look first. Okay, (laughs) this is awkward. (laughs) So let's start then with the title subject of the apothecary. Basically, Nella inherited the apothecary from her mother, and it used to not be used to poison anyone at all. When Nella's mother passed away, she fell in love with Frederick, who took a bit of the sting out of her grief. Frederick seemed to be everything she had ever wanted, and even whispered promises of marriage to her. However, she became pregnant before they could even get that far, and he still continued to fill her ears with sweet nothings and you know, tell her he would still marry her quick as possible so no one would get suspicious. But then he disappeared, and she never saw him again. In addition to that, she miscarried the very same night that she saw him last. Eventually, she put two and two together, checked her inventory, and realized that Frederick had stolen her ingredients and made a concoction that induced a miscarriage. Eventually, a woman who Nella had been led to believe was Frederick's sister arrived, and it turned out to be his wife. Together, the women decided that they would make a poison to end Frederick's life. How did that make you feel? And do you think that what happened to Frederick and the fact that the news of that spread around by word of mouth, that she was obligated to change the apothecary into what it became? I was definitely blindsided by that part where he basically forced her to miscarry and that he was married. I didn't see that coming. It was a great twist. I enjoyed that part. But I think she was kind of forced into it because then women started coming to her looking to (laughs) kill others. I mean, it's kind of messed up, but I don't know. Would you turn away somebody that was in such a dire situation that they felt that they needed to poison somebody? Yes. (laughs) But... I haven't had the same life experiences of her and been that bitter and that betrayed. Mm -hmm. And she was in a bad place because this happened right after her Her mom mom died. died. And so I think that 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 bitterness and that betrayal really took root so that she was able to more easily sympathize Mm -hmm. in ways that I can't personally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was an interesting piece in the epilogue about how poisoning was a little bit more common than we're led to believe because nobody really kept records of that. There was no forensic science to pinpoint exactly, yes, this person was poisoned. So it's believed that it happened more frequently. So maybe this was more common than we think. (laughs) I mean, how would you know? And that, I think that's funny. I don't know how it really makes me feel. Um, One of the major things we see in history looking back is how strong misogyny truly was Mm -hmm. and how like women had to be quiet and so it's interesting and terrible 
mm-hmm. and interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> to think about like maybe the women did stay quiet but they fought back in their own small ways right and i mean what's his name mr arkham amswell wait who? who what's his name that uh eliza killed amswell amswell i don't know what i just called him but <laughs> he had no idea that that's why he was dying right he it's bittersweet because these women get their revenge but at the same time the people that they're killing they never know why they're dying or what exactly happened so all of this um you just did it even more but this all brings me back to game of thrones mm-hmm. um at one point i don't even remember show or book anymore all blends together but at one point cersei says like poison is the women's weapon and that's what women oh. do um but then obviously as everyone knows it's marjorie's grandma i don't remember her name i'm sorry i love her she was a badass i can't remember her name right now but she's the one who poisoned king joffrey and oh, she's I didn't... In, in the same room like she wanted to see the look in his Did he eyes die? yeah uh, i never everyone only... died it's game of thrones oh, sorry i only read the first book and i just i couldn't get into the show or the book so you're weird i didn't like joffrey he reminded me no of... one liked joffrey that's <laughs> not why people watch they don't go oh team joffrey let's watch this my bad i don't know i don't know anything about game of thrones but i think that that's that's a great reference because it's definitely i think it definitely happened more than we think it did yeah and the one of the main contrasts in game of thrones was like yes men have their penises and their swords and they all just very dramatically and gruesomely kill each other and we have our quieter powers that are just as powerful did somebody get killed with a penis on game of thrones (laughs) maybe (laughs) there was violence related to penises Oh. Probably caused by and affected by. Oh. Oh. Okay. I get that. Yeah. All right. So good times. Good times. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Westeros. Yeah. Um, so Nella was extremely forthcoming with her backstory to Eliza. I almost found it a little bit weird because she was so forthcoming with it. She was giving her information the first time that she met And my thoughts once we got to know Nella a little bit more was maybe she was trying to replace the loss of her child and she felt connected to 12-year-old Eliza. What do you think about that? I think that maybe the connection to a child had been part of it and her curiosity, she enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the reason why she did it at all, though, was because of how quickly her body was deteriorating. That's a good point. And I think she realized her end was near and she wanted her story to be known to anybody that's a good point i think that nella was lonely like, yeah how could very you very lonely that's a huge burden to have yeah and she didn't really have anybody else in her life no. and she's midlife at this point that we meet her and well midlife for our current standards i should say not yeah so older than yeah not 1800 standards but uh, I felt really bad for her. I did too. She was very lonely and I think she was just looking to make a connection and it just so happened to be Eliza because she was there. I think you're right though about the child connection because I think that piece is important. Like why not do it with Lady Constance or whatever her name was or Mm -hmm. anyone else more in her peer group. Mm -hmm. I think it was half the loss of her child that she 
was drawn to children and but also I feel like Eliza had that curiosity and she's like oh someone is actually interested in me and mm-hmm. what I do yeah that's a big part of it I think too because Probably, she wanted to learn she did want to learn and you know you there is a childlike wonder for like everything in life that is lost and so once you're older and bitter and have your own dramas <laughs> you're so engulfed in your own stories you don't give a crap about anyone else's yeah yeah that's a good point A common thing of some books we've read lately is the expectations that are forced on us by our parents. Everything from Outlaw to Addie LaRue and then some. Honestly, most of the characters are put off by the expectations of marriage and babies and to either go through with those expectations at all or how to deal with them when they don't meet them. This book has three vastly different women who are honestly chained by such expectations. There's Caroline, who puts a lot of expectation on herself for marriage in babies, although we don't get the backstory to know how much of that is from her parents. Um, Nella is expected to take over her mother's apothecary, and it's talked about how she was mixing up remedies while other girls were playing with dolls from a young age. And then Eliza's mom refuses to let her grow up on the farmland because she didn't want her to end up like her and sends her off to the city at 10 years old to work her way up and have what she believes a better life than she had. Nell and Eliza seem to have no problem meeting their parents' expectations. At what point does the burden of parental expectation come to be too much? Well, I think a lot of these examples in this book were too much. Um, But I think it's maybe telling of the time period. Because Caroline, but we also don't know a lot about Caroline's backstory, but Caroline doesn't really seem to have those same expectations that Nella and Eliza did. And so maybe it's more time period than anything because kids were just supposed to do what their parents expected of them. Obviously that's changed a lot in present day. Um, and I think that maybe that's what the author was trying to draw on there that, you know, Eliza was sent away at 10 years old. That's young. Right. Like, I can't imagine doing that. We both have kids older than 10 right now, and I can't even imagine sending either one of them away. <laughs> that is a huge time period <laughs> thing of that yeah. people just aren't prepared like they used to be. But their lives were shorter. Yeah. So, I mean, you got to go and get stuff done. We have more time to be stupid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we got like a good 60 years left, hopefully, maybe. I don't know. Maybe tomorrow. I don't know. Ooh, this is going to be real awkward if you do die tomorrow before the episode even if, launches. If we if I die tomorrow, then I'm looking at you. It's eucalyptus oil. That's what's happening. Drink your coffee. Hmm. Your eucalyptus yeah. coffee. <laughs> this tastes a little bit minty. I thought you were a koala. <laughs> Does this koalify as a great way to poison someone? <laughs> Kimmy loves koala puns, by the way. <laughs> She once gave Lindsay a whole bunch of koala puns on Facebook when they she went quality. to Australia. They were when she went to Australia. Well, I'll be darned if you didn't like them. They just sneak up on you from down under. Was that a wallaby one? Yeah. Oh, I didn't catch the first part of it. <laughs> Look at all the Aussie animals. Yeah, I'm impressed. Um, um, anyways, yeah. So sorry, going we back get, to we the get story. distracted. We're both like puppies, honestly. Right. Um, but I mean, there's definitely. A lot of expectations that were different back then. Eliza wasn't even literate. She had to be taught to read by Mrs. Am- Amwell. I cannot say her freaking name. But she had to be... You have a problem with that in general, so yeah. it's okay. Yeah. 
Whatever. <laughs> um, well, there's that thing, but I think, like, the the overall thing I didn't like with that is I wish it would have explored all of the dynamics and pressures of parental expectations because it like just really felt like, oh, the marriage and baby expectation is bad and mean and she should want to be a career-driven woman, whatever. That's fine. That's as far common. as Caroline goes? Yeah. And so it didn't yeah. explore all of them. Like, that was the one that wasn't meant. But then, a li- like, uh, so then Nella, yeah. you know, I would like that have explored more. Like, did she genuinely want to do that? It was all she knew. She didn't have much of a community. Um, what if her mom hadn't died? Would she have wanted to do that? Are expectations fine as long as you want them to? I got the idea that Nella wanted to. Right. So that's then, what I Is felt. that what make, makes parental expectations fine? I mean, if... I think that would have been more interesting just because I like to see the conflict. Like, it was too easy that the ones that weren't marriage and children, they both happened to want what their parents wanted. Mm-hmm. And then the other one, oh, that's so confining and restrictive. Yeah. And so I didn't like that. So I would have been... But that's also more of a theme for current life. Um, no. I would have enjoyed the whole play and contrast of her, of... She had been raised like that, but not really wanting it. And then her mom died and she had to keep it going out of that and to see those emotions and, you know, times when we do what's expected of us and honor people and just had more depth to it Mm -hmm. as opposed to, oh, it wasn't marriage and children. So my expectations match and it's fine. It felt too easy and bleh for me. I would like... I see the easy and blah because I, I saw a lot of that throughout the book. It was a little bit too easy. Yeah. Especially like when Caroline found out very quickly where the apothecary was and she went to the correct place. Oh, yeah, place that was easy and too. It, there was no conflict as in this is the wrong place. Yeah, nothing then, like that. Yeah. So some of that stuff was too easy. And so going further with the expectations being too easy, um, Eliza was a huge one for me because her mom had her life that she didn't want her to be confined and fenced in just equal to the pigs Mm -hmm. with no opportunity. And this was really built up in Eliza's mind of like, Oh yeah, I can be anything. Mommy says there's magic in the big city. And she really enjoyed that. It would have been a completely different story for her. Even if Mrs. Amswell hadn't been as great as she was, she became really attached to her. Imagine if Miss Amswell had been a bitch and it had been miserable there and she was getting sexually abused or she had actually gotten raped and it was this whole huge painful thing where I bet she would have given any fucking thing to be back on that farm. Mm-hmm. I I truly enjoyed Mrs. Amswell because she, I, I liked that it wasn't a conflicting relationship as far as that goes, because that's so stereotypical that the child is sent off somewhere and they go and live with somebody that is mean and spiteful and hateful and all of those terrible negative things. But that didn't happen here. She grew a great relationship with her and it almost seemed like there was another instance where somebody is trying to treat Eliza as a daughter as a child um of their own because she didn't have any children of her own either so I'm wondering if she was treating her that way as well because she pulled her into the office to go write her notes for her special when there was other people who had been there longer than she had and They got kind of jealous of that. Yeah, and I would have... I think that's just what I want as I was left wanting more. Like, I'm okay with them meeting the expectations of their parents, I guess. I didn't like how it just seemed so black and white. It was very, Um, like, this way or the highway. And I would have even liked, like, 
maybe it was Nella's mom who didn't want her to follow in her footsteps and be chained to the apothecary, but she wanted to, you know, just, I just like that conflict and that growth. I see what you're saying. And that kind of thing. Um, the fact that Eliza was just ready to go to the magical big city and leave her family and everything behind when she's lived on a farm. But I feel like those things were normal then. Yeah. But don't you think she would have like some, like, it was, it was just too easy. Okay. I'd have liked, you know, a little bit of fear, like, oh, I'm away from my parents big time. Oh, it's so loud here. Oh, this intimidating cook who's treating me. But it's like, oh, nope. Ms. Amswell just took a liking to me. And then the other maids didn't like me as much because I was just a favorite yeah. automatically. I would just like more exploration of it because I don't think it would have just been like, yep, this fits. This fits. This is what they want. No, not, no path or growth or wondering or inner debating about whether or not that's what you actually want. I wanted to hear Eliza's thoughts on it. I like okay. her mom made her expectations clear. I don't want you to miss the opportunities in life stuck on the farm with me. So I want you out as soon as possible. What I'm saying is that there was no conflict or inner wonderings about anything from Nella or no Eliza. internal conflict. What did I say? No, I'm questioning. Oh yeah. That's no, what you mean. Yeah. No internal conflict. Okay. Like, Maybe oh. I was misunderstanding. Yeah. So the internal conflict, like Nella was just like, my mom's apothecary. I'm going to be an apothecary. That works for me. No. Is there anything out there? Do I want to learn something else? Uh-huh. What about boys? What if I want to get married instead? Like just that kind of thing. And then with Eliza, like, oh, my mom doesn't want me to be confined to the farmland. Right. I will accept that and not be like, what's the city like? Even that kind of thing. Like no fear, no hesitation. I get that it was different and probably common. But I don't think that means every child went into a completely different family at 10 years old unafraid in a completely different culture, really. Yeah. I mean, it is a completely different culture. City versus farm. She's never been to a big city before. And all of a sudden she's thrust into living with somebody she doesn't know. Right. And nobody bats a freaking eye. And so that's what I like would have, like even just hesitation of like, are you sure, mom? Like, uh, am I ready to go do these things? Yeah. Like you say, it's great, but can I stay here a little longer even? I it can't. just was all too easy is what I... I can't even imagine just being like, <laughs> bye, see you later. You're 10 years old. Well, that was fun. <laughs> Caroline's heart was also broken. A man she was married to for 10 years betrayed her horribly. And cheating is often a difficult subject to talk about. So if you were in Caroline's shoes, would you have gone to London by yourself and tried to eat, pray, love your life after that bombshell? Threw in that little purple elephant for you. Thank you for your service. You're welcome for my service. Um, I have recently learned this about myself. It has been hard to articulate, even though I felt it for a long time and not like understanding with. I don't think I genuinely could go by myself and eat, pray, love. Mm-hmm. You and Lindsay would have to come with me. Because if I am alone with my thoughts, away from everyone and completely isolated, that's no good for me. I can't internalize completely. Like, I would need you guys there to... I don't even necessarily have to talk about it, but I just can't be completely isolated alone with my thoughts. You know, I initially thought that I could do it, but I'm kind of with you. Like, I need comfort. Yeah. Like, I would like to go do something grand and big like that to just kind of give myself more confidence and press the restart button, but I couldn't do it alone. I couldn't either. I could, I could do happy alone probably. Yeah. Like go to Disney world by yourself. Yeah. I'd be all down for, but I can't do sad alone. I need someone to like take me out of it and talk me through it. And 
like the stages of grief, like yeah. sweatpants stage. Ice the cream. friends. That's the best yeah. one. Yeah. Definitely. And then strip club. No. No. That's a friend's reference. <laughs> For anybody who's questioning that. Uh, fun fact. Lindsay and I have never been to a strip club. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. In Hotlanta. So scandalous. Oh, my. Yeah. Uh, another fun fact. The three of us tried really hard to go to a strip club in Las Vegas, and for whatever reason, we had a really difficult time about it. It is not as easy as one may think. The best part of that story is that we all only brought sandals and we were looking at a specific script club to go and it said like club attire or something like that, dress shoes. <laughs> and Kimmy called <laughs> and was like, we only have sandals. Can we still come? And they're like, yeah, sure. We'll send you a car. And then we're like, no, that's sketchy. Apparently it's not. That's why everyone else thinks it's easy because they just come to you. I know. We had no idea. We're so cute and adorable. I know. We were there to see the Backstreet Boys, if anyone was wondering. (laughs) There was eye contact. Only with Kimmy, though. You touched three three? of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We also sat on the floor eating lobster in line. Ah, That was a good trip. That was a good trip. That was fun. Good times. What were we talking about? Uh, I don't know. Sorry, we can't. Oh, um, eat, pray, love. Oh yeah. Like I would like to go to Vegas and eat, pray, love, and watch the Backstreet Boys to get over something. I'm definitely not an alone type of person, though. Me neither. Especially to deal with things. Yeah. If I if I'm left to be alone to deal with something, that's when I become shut off don't want to talk to anybody it's like me too it like it just compounds on itself and kind of makes it worse it's one extreme or the other yeah like i have to have some sort of outlet or i just become in this extremely depressive that's how i felt and like it literally took me this long to discover that about myself to be able to articulate it because you know there would be times be so busy and stressed out with life and my husband who is a saint who had the best intentions would be like oh it's cool just go read in the bathtub and take some time and I'd be like, why don't I feel better? Right. This is terrible. Yeah. I don't want this. I'm like, well, that's nice on its own, especially when I'm happy. And it is a good way to like relax. It does not like decompress me or help me get rid of any stressors yeah. if I'm that elevated already. Like I, I need to I just talk that. it out with someone. Well, and I thought that I was, I guess, weak, so to speak. I'm glad that you had the same take on it as well, because... I don't know, not being able to be alone sometimes seems like a weakness to me because I can't be with myself. And, you know, you you hear a lot about that in negative connotations, I guess. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I guess it really isn't that unusual to not want to be alone. I mean, I can be alone when I'm happy. Me too. And that's what I think it's interesting, especially because, like, the negative connotations a lot is like people who like can't go to a restaurant by themselves yeah. or do and i can do that all day if i'm sure, happy sure Ugh, but when i'm sad it is much better for me to be around other people mm-hmm. yeah like i can go see a movie by myself i can go do all of those things by myself but i can't do that stuff when i'm sad me neither and especially the situation with caroline like if i was alone with my thoughts it would go to such a dark, dark, dark place Yeah, real quick. I struggle really hard with cheating um, storylines. 
Yeah, I do too. I don't like them. Because I've been on the receiving end of that before. And so I immediately like go back to those feelings. And then, I don't know, it's just I dwell on my own experiences. So I try not to read (laughs) books that have... I hate it. I really do. I don't like those feelings. It just drudges up old stuff and... It just feels awful. It feels icky. It really does. And I just... Especially this one where they had like been trying for a baby and she was concerned she might have actually finally gotten pregnant. I was really worried that she was going to be pregnant. I was glad that she wasn't because she was throwing up and... Yeah, it was strange. Having symptoms and whatnot, but I don't like cheating. I don't either. I mean, that's that's a given, but just cheating in stories because it just feels gross. It does. It is gross. So uh, let's move along because I yes. don't like that. I don't like that one anymore. <laughs> so we'll go to something you do like, your little okay. ghosts and supernatural. Yeah. So do you remember in The Four Winds when Elsa had no idea where babies yes. were made or how they were made or how any of that worked? And... So that same frustration came back to me as Eliza got her first period and she thought it was the ghost of Mr. Amwell haunting her, like making her bleed. Yeah. How frustrated were you with that? And do you think like Nella should have caught on sooner and helped her out? Or So I initially, <laughs> I don't know if this makes me sound silly or whatnot, but I initially thought that she was somehow pregnant with his child and maybe I was really worried about that and that she didn't remember that part actually happening yes that's exactly what I thought was going towards that and that's why she felt her stomach swelling and that's why she you know was bleeding because she was now miscarrying and so I was it took me a minute to catch on that this was her first period you know (laughs) It's funny to me, though. I think it's a good description for someone like her who hadn't felt that before because (laughs) you all are about to get to know me real well on this podcast. (laughs) So I had like babies, like super back to back ish, like super close together. And, you know, you forget what period cramps feel like. Mm -hmm. And so after I had had my last baby, I was laying there feeling something and I was like, oh, man, am I about to have such a big poop? What is this? My stomach hurts. And then I was like, oh, these are cramps again. These guys are back. (laughs) And it was just really bizarre. Like, if you don't know, you don't know what you're feeling. Yeah. And it's weird. You don't. You don't. And I'm not one that has cramps very often. So, I mean, maybe that's why I couldn't understand what she was getting at. I, I immediately assumed that it was pains from having a miscarriage and she just blacked out that time where she was raped but i i think nella was so focused on everything else that was going on with lady clarence that she didn't have time to even see what was happening with eliza but my question was is if eliza didn't know anything about this obviously she didn't know how to take care of it and i don't know what provisions there was in the 18th century for you know there obviously wasn't tampons or anything but i'm wondering how well she took care of it because she said she stole stuff from the laundry right but you know you have to wash those things obviously i'm assuming and that doesn't i'm also assuming all of these things because i don't know how absorbent the things were that she got but i would assume that nella would have been able to see it 
at some point because... But even if she saw it, she also, when we finally got there, assumed someone else had told her. That, that is true. That is true. But it never even gets brought up. That was all very strange to me. Yeah. I struggled with the the realism, I guess, in my own head of hygienically. How was this possible that she couldn't... The thing I struggled with is she kept saying she was bleeding from her stomach. Or like stuff was coming from her stomach. And I get when you think pregnancy and baby stuff is in the stomach. But it like never said she was like bleeding from between her legs or anything. Yeah, it did. Oh, no. That was with Caroline. The gush between her legs. Yeah. Of her period. With her, it was like, oh, he's ripping apart my stomach. I guess the cramps. I don't know. Yeah. It just felt really stomachly focused for her. (laughs) But I mean, if you're 12. I feel like she would have been like, what is coming from between my legs? I don't know. Maybe yeah. the first one when she like stood up and like left it on the the stain on the... St- but it was like while the other guy was dying. Yeah. Mr. Amswell. Yeah. It was all very... Amwell. Whatever. It was all very strange. Um, but it definitely did remind me of um, The Four Winds where she, she had just, no maybe. idea. Nobody ever told these poor girls. And what you said, we actually... Uh, for much as we hated the Queen's Gambit, we looked up and learned a lot from that one. Mm-hmm. And we even looked up like when sexual education was taught. Mm-hmm. And started in like the 70s or something. Yeah. Which, of course, they're not even in America in this book. But right. it's just something like before very recent modern times, people just had to figure out on their own. And if their moms didn't tell them, which a lot of times it seems like they didn't, like, where are they supposed to figure that out? I guess friends at that point. Which is terrible. It, it really is because knowledge is power, as corny as that is. But to first periods are scary in general. And you're like, oh, boy, what do I do? How do I deal with this? And to not even know. My first one was terrible because of everything else going on in the world. Uh, I got mine in sixth grade and the time I had it, it was pretty recent after September 11th. Oh gosh. And then a girl in my sixth grade class had killed herself. Oh my God. And then my period started and my friends tried to take me to see the Lord of the Rings and all that was going on. And I have never been able to like or get into that because it's just <laughs> you automatically bad memories for me you automatically associate it with suicide yeah. periods um i mean at least your aunt didn't announce at your 12th birthday party did that happen to someone <laughs> yes what? to Lindsay, we have express written consent that she allowed us to share this story um about this but yeah her aunt announced at her birthday party that Lindsay's finally got her period to everybody. (laughs) And that's one of my favorite stories of hers. That's a good one. Yeah, because I would be mortified. But yeah, we still are mortified. But I definitely love that modern times have gotten us to that time (laughs) of, you know, it's definitely much better to overshare and be a little embarrassed than to be completely embarrassed, mortified, think you're being freaking haunted by yeah. a ghost, not know what's happening to you, be completely lost, and have all those things. Like, whatever. Little birthday embarrassment, Ugh. well overthinking yeah. the ghost of the guy you just killed. Is I can't you even apart. imagine thinking that that's what happened. It's kind of weird. Nella talks a lot about her mother's mission with her shop was really to help women who had been shunned by male doctors. This is what she said led to her decision to not hurt women. Do you think something else is at play in that decision 
And do you even think that's sustainable over the long run, even if Lady Clarence didn't happen? Uh, I feel like it had already been a long run, first of all. It was. She was <laughs> She was there for a while. Um, so I think the whole issue of her mother and her mission, um, <laughs> there are several things that I thought and enjoyed through this. And one, that it reminded me of Outlawed, of you know women having to take care of women because the men sure as heck weren't. Yep. And the other thing, the little bit of twist <laughs> was she, when she gave uh, Eliza the book of magic, mm-hmm. she's like, oh, this is usually for like midwives. <laughs> 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 I remembered that part. And I was like, I know that Kimmy's going to catch that. I was like, oh. So I found those things interesting and noble. I think Nella not wanting to harm women is a very specific kind of bitter woman. Um, I would agree wholeheartedly with that. And honestly, so going back to Frederick, we thought it was his sister that he originally went to Nella for, and it turned out to be his wife. The fact that his wife came and just helped Nella poison him was interesting. I feel like that's a very hard thing for women to get to that point. Well, don't you think that he did the same thing to her? Yeah, he made her miscarry. I absolutely do. So don't you think that they would have bonded over that and been like, no, he needs to die in that time period. Put yourself back in that time period where poisoning was assumed frequent. I guess, too, I didn't even think about how they probably discussed that and made that realization Mm -hmm. because she never went over that conversation of being like, wait, but who did he want the right. this medicine for? It, but it's assumed. So it was like implied. Yeah. So I guess that when really... Or inferred? Inferred. It was inferred. Yes, it was inferred. I think more too, though, that most women would be more like Lady Constance and not blame the man or not care about the man and instead want to get... Clarence. Clarence? What did I say? Constance? Constance. <laughs> That's the name of the author of the book. <laughs> I was like, who is that? Who is that? Lady Lady Clarence. Lady Clarence. My bad. My bad. Um, I think most would be like not putting that much pressure on the male or wanting him to die because they still have their own uses for him. Mm -hmm. Sperm donation. Right. She was trying to get pregnant as well. Right. And so I think she just wants the woman out of the way. And so the fact that Nella um, only wanted to harm men and never women kind of shows how isolated and sheltered she was on one degree. Because women are shady and terrible and do all these things. And a lot of time, women blame other women when their husbands wander or cheat. Could it, I mean, obviously, it did work out that way in the long run. I don't think anything else was at play. But I think it really showed how sheltered she was and how she wasn't around women that much, truly, I think, to actually interact with besides selling them stuff. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head when you first said, it's a special kind of bitter woman. <laughs> because, like, that's a male-hating, bitter scorned woman yes who is hurting and doesn't really know how to express herself other than killing all of these men so so do you think her hands were dirty or that she was i definitely think her hands were dirty her scruples were completely you think she was she should have been considered the serial killer and the one at fault for all this yeah well maybe not the serial killer as far as that's concerned but she gave poison to a 12-year-old. And <laughs> oh, had, would you not do that? And had a 12-year-old kill this guy who at the time she had no idea why they were even doing this. 
Yeah. She's like, yeah, just cook it up and put some gravy on top of it and he won't be able to taste it and tell me use pepper. <laughs> yep. Lots of pepper. Uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting and I don't know. She basically wants to know who's killing who with nothing further. Right. Sometimes she got stories. Well, I think she, she never asked for stories. People just generally all load on her. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're doing something that's terrible and probably something that they went back and forth about over and over on this is something that I want to do or not. And so, yeah, you kind of get a little bit chatty at that point, I'm assuming. Do you think, though, she should have gotten intention out of everyone and why they were doing it? No. Why? I don't think she should have even gotten names and, you know, what she gave them. That's, I understand her reasoning behind it, that she wanted to give these women a story. But I heart and that's the other thing of why I think the why would have been more important if you want to have sure. their story. Yeah. I think just who did what and how is. Yeah. No, I, I totally. Just incriminating. And... I agree with that aspect of it, but I don't think she should have gotten anything. Like maybe talk to them about it, but not written it Necessarily, down. Necessarily. I don't think recording, but I think if she's going to, I don't think she should hand out poisons willy nilly. Sure. But she, I mean, obviously her morals are skewed because she gave poison to a 12 year old like the, where's the line men are the line and that's like she never got eliza's story directly at first when she was giving her the poison yeah. she didn't know that she was getting like sexually abused and felt up at breakfast right. right and so if that were the case then i kind of hate sexual abusers and pedophiles more than anything so yeah sure, sure kill that guy but she had no the idea. story right and you're also giving it to a 12 year old too like i don't really yes she's being abused and taken advantage of but at the same time she's still 12 she doesn't understand the go home and send your mistress here to pick it up herself exactly the the final this is permanent that this you're gonna kill him they don't understand that at that age and i think it was really messed up thinking now more about that it's even more messed up because i think the mistress knew what's going on Yes, that's why she sent her there. I don't think Eliza had any idea what was going on. She just no. knew her mistress wanted him dead. This, and she's just so blindly trusting. I don't think she realized what was happening to her. This was another instance where nobody explained her, to her, like, this is what's happening and this is not okay. And it was nothing like, has anything like, like, I think they asked what ever happened before, but it wasn't like, okay, if this happens again, do A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. Tell me immediately, this is how you get away. This is what you do, blah, blah, blah. The poor Eliza. I, I think Eliza was probably one of the most complex characters in the book, and she was just kind of pushed to the side with a lot of things where nobody As people told her do anything. with children. Yeah. Yeah. When you are young, they assume you know nothing. Got my Taylor Swift reference in. Booyah! <laughs> so you're right about Eliza completely. She knew more than she put on and especially knowing when to inquire Mm -hmm. further about things she very wisely asked nella how do you know so much about poisons if your mom never used them nella advised her of how she needed to know them for her own safety and then compared what her mom knew to a dog who had sharp teeth but never attacks saying that her mom's knowledge was a weapon she never used how did that make you feel in general? And do you think Nella misused the knowledge her mother gave her by actually using it as a weapon? I understood that, but I also could definitely see that she had to have learned more somewhere else. While you can gather the information of having it to stay safe and not hurt yourself or others, she had to have learned more other places. Specifics. Specifics. How much? And how to administer it to do harm. And I don't think it was just this happenstance of 
This is just like the extra stuff that she told me so I don't kill myself or anybody else. I bet she got it from books because she was pretty sheltered and isolated the whole she time. Was. So I think... And she had... They talked about her large collection of books as well. Yeah, because I don't think she went anywhere else to discover these things. And a lot of it could have been... I don't want to say trial and error even, honestly, but she knew like some specifics. Well, like the what she gave um, Lady Clarence with the Beatles. I don't feel like it was ever addressed that that was something that was used for something else. I could be wrong. That that was specifically for killing somebody. Yeah, I don't know. That she went to great depths. Yeah. She went to great depths to get those Beatles twice. Yeah, and she knew lots of specific things of... Mm-hmm. The Beatles have to be roasted first so that they're not moist. And the the fact to know how to do things in a manner of which was sneaky Mm -hmm. for like the eggs. Why would her mom, who never poisoned anyone, teach her how to do a tiny crack in an egg and do it secretly? But that's also 20, 30 years after she's been doing this. So maybe trial and error of how to get of how to get to where she is now. Yeah. So, I mean, we are only seeing part of the story in that sense of maybe it was a lot of trial and error and how to kill people when she first started doing this. But she obviously got Frederick pretty good. So That's an easy one, though. Or I guess I don't... How was he killed? Some sort of poison. I don't remember. Me neither. I don't remember. It was probably like the rat poison stuff. Yeah. Which I was very intrigued, too, when she was telling Eliza about the rat poison on how terribly graphic his death was going to be and that she shouldn't stay around to watch it and i'm like well how do you know that obviously Mm, obviously she's been around the block you know with doing this for so long but did she ever see anybody and it's interesting to think about the trial and error aspect because the art of poisoning someone is not so much subtle (laughs) No. And you have to stick around for observation. And if they're not actually dead and they were to suspect, like, like say she had eucalyptus oiled somebody mm-hmm. and they just got as sick as Caroline's husband did. Mm-hmm. Why are you watching me? Like, how how did you get so close? Yeah. Like, but like the maid knew something was up because she took the imprint of the glass jar because uh, Lady Clarence was like, put this in the decanter or whatever. And she's like, well, this is weird. But then she's like, I thought that this was a sweetener. Well, if you thought it was a sweetener, why would you take an imprint of it? Because he died after? Maybe she did it afterwards? I think she did it afterwards. Did she do it afterwards? Okay. It's interesting because I don't think that she is being as truthful or forthcoming with that as much as she says that this is just what I've learned from my mom. And I think that she intentionally sought out to learn these things and to learn how to become better at it. And I still think that she had to have administered poison herself to be so graphically in detail. This is what's going to happen an hour after he takes it. This is what's going to happen in a few hours and his body's going to contort. She said she never saw it specifically though. You think she just straight up lied? That could be in books. Yeah. Could be, and or somebody could have come back and given her a detailed account of what happened, but I don't know. It's a lot of, I think it could all be book knowledge. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's a lot to be, a lot left to the reader to kind of Infer. take what you will. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to Caroline's husband, James, he cheated 
He intentionally drank the poison that caused the police to think that Caroline tried to kill him. And he stifled her career choices by taking the safe route. When this book ended, we saw that Caroline was leaving him and going to live in London. Do you think that this is going to stick, that their marriage is really done? What do you think? I have lots of thoughts on this. Do you? So I'm glad you said this. First of all, one thing I appreciated was how in the end, Caroline did admit that she had a hand in her own stifled career choices. Mm-hmm. And that it, at first she put all the pressure on him. And then she did realize, like, yeah, I'm the one who actually did it. I didn't necessarily provide any resistance or fight at all. And so I do think that was something that was equally yoked to both of them. Um, and it's easy to put on the husband who wants these things, but he wasn't necessarily forcing any of this. It's also he, easy to put it on him because he just cheated and she's right. mad at him. And so um, then going with the cheating thing, like I could have seen them getting back together if it had been just that. But the fact that he... Did that eucalyptus oil bullshit. That is why I hope to God she never goes back <laughs> to him. That manipulative jerk off. Ridiculous. That is absurd. And that is a form of mental and emotional yes. abuse. And we talk about going back to our other things like cheating gets you more. That gets me more to try to keep someone in a relationship to get their pity by threatening to kill yourself or poison yourself or otherwise harm yourself. And he almost did get her. Yeah. She even admits that. Which is terrible. That is not healthy. That is not okay. And that is not something anyone ever does just once. Mm-hmm. And so it makes you think, like, that's another relationship that we don't really get to see much of a backstory on. But it makes you think of how many other times did somebody, or did he do this to her in that relationship? Yeah, and that's what gets hard because their relationship seemed so rose tinted when she was looking back at first Mm -hmm. like oh we just got bored and stagnant and we went the safe route and got complacent with that and we both neither of us liked it it was fine but i don't think him doing this was a one-time thing and that completely tainted my whole view of him yeah i was really upset but not surprised that he had done this intentionally i was really upset because the police were looking at her thinking that she did this And he could have easily lied and said, yeah, I think she tried to kill me. And there's this, you know, just happenstance notebook that happens to talk about poison in it when it had absolutely nothing to do with him. And it's everything to do with the apothecary. And he could have ruined her life. That wasn't his point, though. No, I know, but... He could have, yes. He and could that's have. And that's, that's, a, that's a way that I thought that it was going to go at some point and for honestly, some reason. I doubt he even knew what was in her notebook, though. That was just No, he didn't. Yeah. yeah. So... But when the police showed up, like, accusing her of doing that, and when she walked down to the room with him, you know, oh. and he, <laughs> he was just so quick to say, no, no, she had nothing to do with it. And, like, the words used, like... He rolled his eyes when he took the card from the officer and and things like that. It was just, I thought that it may maybe go a different way than that. That's all. That maybe he was going to try and ruin her because he was so vindictive. That's not what he wanted, though. He yeah. didn't want to be vindictive. He wasn't mad at her. He wanted her back. Yeah, that's true. So honestly, I could see him using the manipulations, doing this again. And then the next time him pinning this on her to get back at her when he didn't get his way, he's now throwing a tantrum, temper tantrum like a child. 
and it didn't work multiple times. So then he can tell the cops, look how many times she's tried to kill me. <laughs> yeah, he was, I, he was a piece of work. Yeah, that made me lose all respect for them in their relationship. So I hope it was completely done because I do too. that is terrible. I do too. That's all of it's bad. Yeah. All of it's bad. In the end, it's come to light that the apothecary is poisoning many, many people. People keep coming up for, forward with these vials as evidence and being like, so oh, this person surprisingly died. And it's very strange. So people are starting to catch on to the apothecary, find the vials that tie multiple deaths together. Mm-hmm. And so she is ready to kill herself to avoid getting in trouble for all these mysterious deaths. But right when Nella is about to jump off the bridge, Eliza beats her to it. And she jumps off the bridge. Did you think that she had died? Uh, yeah, I did. I did too. Were you then surprised that she was alive and back in her mistress house? Did you think it was a ghost? (laughs) I did think it was maybe a ghost at that point. um, Because I had seen the review prior to this mentioning the ghost. And I was like, maybe this is a ghost that they're talking about. That's the only reason I thought it was a ghost. Um... But yeah, I I was completely surprised by that. And then to take it a step further, she it kind of left you a little bit wondering if Nella lived because when she gets married to the bookstore owner Tom Peppers, fantastic name by the way. <laughs> when she gets married to him, she does an interview because he ends up dying and she takes over the very successful bookstore, yada, yada, yada. She does an interview and says something about my friend has guided me throughout this or whatever. And we still are close to this day. And I was like, I know she's talking about Nella. You inferred that? I inferred that. Wow. I know. I didn't have to be blatantly told. Wow. And... I know she's talking about Nella, but is Nella still alive or is this a ghost that she talks to or is it just the memory? I think she was still alive. Do you? Nella? Yeah. yeah. After all of her health problems? Maybe they went away after the guilt of killing people and the work of killing people stopped. <laughs> That's interesting. I thought that maybe she was just referring to the memory. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So do you think that maybe um, Eliza learned a potion to cure her? Since do you believe that... in the magic or do you think it was all coincidence? I'm not sure. I think maybe it was kind of coincidence. But I also, I can't really, can't really say. Isn't that funny? I think, I think that magic is real, but the magical air that surrounds it can twist things to make it understandable. In that like... Who maybe Addie LaRue they kind of touch on this of people like seeing what they want to see kind of thing sure like I think that it could have been the magic that saved Eliza but then there were like explainable things for the cynical people who don't believe in magic yeah like oh yeah she happened to land on this very soft thing that was there at the exact moment and someone pulled her out of the water and all these things helped her this that and the other yeah and it was the potion that made her heat up from the inside out and yeah. Protect her from the... So I think it could have... I think it could just be true or false based on your level of cynicism. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it could have gone either way. Yeah. I'd like to believe it was the magic that 
did it. But the practical real side of my brain says no. It could have even been, though, the magic that compelled her to jump. Because mm. I was shocked she jumped. I didn't think that'd be something she did or knew. But she was a very, like, blindly trusting child. But like, oh, we're jumping. Let's just jump in. Like, that was like, whoa, what is she doing? Like, does she like... But she also believed in the elixir that she had. Yeah. To a very scary point. (laughs) Magic. Yeah. With a K. In London. In London? Wait. (laughs) What? I did that with a British accent, but it was a Friends reference. I was being Joey. Oopsie poopsie. (laughs) I didn't get that with the English accent. I don't know where that came from. See? It takes over. It just does. It does. It's like a... It just comes out whenever you don't expect it. It's fantastic. Have you ever listened to a British audiobook? I am right now. Oh, man. Does that just do crazy things to you? Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice? By Rosamund Pike is... Oh, yes. Is oh, yes, yes, yes. narrating it. Okay. I gotta slow it down. Yeah, it's hard. I'm going to start talking with an uh, accent as I come out of the car, like long car rides. You know what else I realized? I noticed this a lot when I was reading Game of Thrones. And then as I was listening to Eleanor Oliphant, uh-huh. is not necessarily the accent, mm-hmm. but I will start talking like they talk in the book. Really? Like I start using like pretentious words like, oh, well, that is very odd that they would do such a thing. And like, and when I was reading Game of Thrones, one of the big things they say is they say mayhaps uh-huh. instead of maybe or perhaps. And I would just start doing that like that was a thing. <laughs> mayhaps. And I just like take their like actual words and like how they talk as opposed to the actual like accent of it all. Or like wanting to say hello, hello to anybody that comes and stops to talk to you. Hello, mm. hello. <laughs> mayhaps. <laughs> mayhaps. <laughs> As long as you don't introduce yourself as the host of The Lost Chill, I think you'll be fine with the hello, hello. It's okay (laughs) if I introduce myself to that. They need to know and listen. I agree with that. So when Peppers, we're just going to call him that now. (laughs) I like his last name a lot. It's a nickname though. So do we need to change the pronunciation of it? (laughs) (laughs) Never let go, Jack. I'm not dignifying that with a response, <laughs> mayhaps. <laughs> so when we meet Pepiers, <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. He really puts the moves yeah. on Eliza. And how impressed were you with those smooth, smooth operator lines? Oh my god, I was so <laughs> impressed. <laughs> I was so Did impressed. you highlight all of them? Yes, I thought it was so cute. I no, I highlighted the whole like three paragraphs. Oh my gosh. When he was like, hey, if it works, you come back now. <laughs> what if it doesn't work? Then you come back because that book's no good, baby girl. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. Woo. There are some peppers in here. It's getting hot. <laughs> I was very impressed. With the 12-year-old pickup lines. <laughs> He read books. He probably was mature behind his, beyond his years. <laughs> they were all way more mature than they needed to be. Yeah, well, that was the times. Grow up fast, die fast. Am I right? Yep. Mm. So, what connected this entire book was Caroline stumbling across something called mudlarking, which is where she found the vial. You weren't even sure mudlarking I'd was never real. Heard of it. I'd never heard of it. What do you say now? Do you want to go? Yeah. So, I'm planning on going to London next year with my husband. I'm going mudlarking. Like, <laughs> does he know this yet? No, I oh. haven't told him. 
It's a surprise. Can you record his reaction? <laughs> yes. Just... He's gonna actually. He would probably really like it because when we well, go... the word lark is in the word, which sounds like a bird. <laughs> so he might get confused and be like, "What? A new rare breed of avian species that I've never heard of?" And then you'll be like, "No, we're gonna go dig in the dirt," and he'll be like. But can I look at birds? But no, he likes to search for fossils when we go to back to Buffalo. Bird fossils? No, dinosaur no. fossils. Yeah. Like, is he looking for old friends? Possibly. Mm. That makes sense, old then. AF. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. <laughs> Not that you listen. Oh, mine doesn't listen either. Yeah. I don't so know rude. why. So much male fiction and novels and interests on this podcast. We I didn't also... talk about periods for that long, I don't no, think. No, I didn't. But, I mean, also, they do get enough of us at home and together. So blessed. So blessed. (sighs) They don't see it that way. But, yes, I'm going to take him mudlarking. Good. And I cannot wait. I hope you find something. I hope I find Bachelor Alf. I hope you find Bachelor Alf, too. (laughs) Maybe he'll introduce me to his daughter and we'll go on a British adventure. Are you going to... Okay. Another fun fact. Kimmy... Me. That's me. (laughs) Sorry, I'm talking about myself in the third person. I read every single part of a book. Um, I do not. Shocking. When when you have an e-reader, they open up to like the first chapter, like automatically. I always scroll back so I can look at the chapter and go through, like I'm flipping everything, read the dedication. And then I read all the way through the end, the author's notes, the acknowledgements, the copyrights, everything. Well, I mean, I scan that. Mm. But anyway, so I read the acknowledgements. I've been finding a lot of good stuff in the acknowledgements. Um, This one is how I knew Mudlarking was automatically real. And uh, she mentioned books you can read about it. And also a person to follow on Instagram. Who I followed. Yeah. So are you going to like look at any of those books? I don't even know what the books are. So you can look them up now. <laughs> you know. I will. Yeah. Yeah. No, Before. because I'm very interested you in it. excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. Good because stuff. that's like right up my alley of finding useless things to bring home. Tchotchkes, if you will. <laughs> bring some home for Lindsay. She I so love will. that. She will be so thankful. Oh, man. Good times. All right. So... As you guys might know by now, we have a TLC rating system for every book we read, one through five stars. Five is an all-time favorite book. Four is great. I want to find more books by this author. Three, this was a solid book. It was really good. Two, not very good. Could have lived without reading it. And one, why did I waste my time reading this rubbish? Kimmy? I give it a three. It was good. Yeah. Same. All right. Good talk. I was a little bit disappointed with the ending. There was a lot of buildup for not so much, it felt like. Yeah, I think overall what I was left with, especially the more I discussed with you of how much just more I wanted, and it was a little bit too easy. Give me conflict. Yeah. Maybe that's my eight side showing. Yeah, but you want to have conflict in books because you don't want to have conflict in life, so you want to... You know, get the drama reading and escaping. We hope that you enjoy hearing our thoughts on The Lost Apothecary. We want to hear your thoughts too. Please reach out to us on social media at The Lost Chill on Instagram and Facebook. While you're there telling us your thoughts, give us a follow so you can always know what books are on the horizon. You can now also find more about us and the show on thelostchill.com. We're freaking official. So official. 
Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, which you can also do on the website. So you don't have to worry about missing an episode. New episodes come out every Tuesday morning, just in time to have with some coffee. Next week, we will be discussing The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. And the following week, we're going to be talking about Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. We also have our full schedule for the rest of April listed on Facebook and Instagram. If you are enjoying The Lost Chill, please leave us a review wherever you listen to us. We would be so grateful if you did, and we can't wait to hear your thoughts about this book. We are so thankful for everyone who has tuned into our show and keeps coming back, too. See you next time. Bye. Bye.